there are some who are very simple, who don't know what, what to do, but they get influenced by those who do not regard the word of God as practical. They have their own worldview and they want to go do things in the way that they think best to be done. God's word is not practical. There are those also who associate, you know, God with religion. The moment you mention God, religion comes into their minds. And they think of God, you know, as someone just there to condemn actions, behavior, thoughts. That's all they think about God. So they reject. They reject God. They reject anything that comes from the scriptures. And they also reject the ways of God. The unfortunate thing is that when people do that, they do not get to see the caring nature, love of God that seeks to help people to experience life as he's created them to experience and to fulfill their purposes or pursue their purposes in life with confidence. This morning, I've come to say this. It's a very long statement. You probably want to write it down. That God's love for us should inspire confidence in his wisdom and excellent nature to enable us to fine-tune and develop confidence to pursue our purposes. I'll say it again. God's love for us should inspire Confidence in his wisdom and excellent nature to enable us to fine-tune and to develop confidence to pursue our purposes. God's plan for our lives was never, or is never to destroy. God created mankind not for destruction, but to do man good. Hallelujah. You see, in 1 Timothy 1.17, God is described as the all wise God and his nature is faultless that means his nature is excellent he wants us to recognize these truths and as we recognize this truth that he is faultless he's an all wise God and he cares and he loves us then we will be able to experience his best and to be able to pursue 
our purposes with confidence. When we come to first, this brings me to, you know, Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, the verses 1 to 11, we see Jesus comes to the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee. He stands there, and the crowd, or the multitude, rush to him. And when they come to him, they press in him so much. For what? To hear the word of God. Jesus feeling pressured or feeling pressed, you know, looks around and sees two ships just on the seashore. So he goes into one of them belonging to Simon and he asks Simon, can you just move a little bit into the waters? And when he does, he sits down and he teaches the, the multitude from there. When that is done, that's in about the verse 3, that is done, he tells Peter, Peter, launch into the deep. Cast your nets for a drought. Peter tries to, you know, well, okay, all right, fine. Uh, we've, we've done this with the whole night, didn't get nothing back. If you say so, let's try. And then they launch out. When they launch out, they are nets, not one net, they are nets. Peter's, Peter and his team, he's a, he's, a, he's a team leader on that ship. So they have, they have different nets. The fish they catch, or the fishes that they catch, their nets cannot hold it. So Peter beckons to, you know, the other colleagues, partners in a different boat. That's John and James. They come around with their boat to help. And even with their boat helping, the two boats are sinking. Why? Because the catch was so much. Peter seeing this, kneels down and says, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Go away from me. Why does Peter do that? And the Jesus Christ says, and, and actually, the Bible says, not only Peter, but all of them were astonished what they've realized, what they've seen, what they've experienced. In James and John and all the people. And Jesus says unto them, fear not. From now on, you're not only going to catch fish, you're going to catch men. And interestingly, all this was happening in the boat. When they get to the shore, they leave the fish, leave the boats, and they follow Jesus. Wow. Wow. What a day. What a day. You see, all this happened in one day. One day. I believe that this passage here, I believe that Jesus came <laughs> for Peter. 
and for John. And because Peter is, is mentioned here, I guess stick to Peter, that he came for Peter. Just as he comes for you and for me. He came for Peter. He was at the seashore. He's come for Peter. But the scenario, everything plays out that he gets Peter exactly what he wants him. And sometimes the things, happen, things that happen in our life, they happen just for a reason. Just, you know, to get our attention. Yes, it is true that the people were pressing him. They were pressing him. That person is very interesting. Yes, by the way, let me just talk about this person. He says, and they pressed, and the people, as the people pressed upon him, as they pressed upon him, he looks around for a place in order to be free. Someone used this scripture recently to preach about Jesus as a kind of social distancing. But I don't think that's the point here. I'm not sure because later on in the same book of Luke, as he was traveling to Jairus' house, the people were crowding him and he never said, move away from me. So because of that, I cannot accept that he moved away because he didn't want the people to, to, be, to be around him in the name of social distancing and call him the king of social distancing. He's a king of the earth, not man-made slogans. Hallelujah. So why does he move away? Imagine this. You trying to talk to people and people just wobbling you here and there. How would your train of thoughts be as you communicate? Of course, you'll be, you'll be disturbed because people are pressing upon you and someone, all that kind of stuff. So he wanted a place where he can be, you know, he can be stable, have a clear frame of mind so he can bless them with the word. This brings to mind Acts chapter 6, you know, when the disciples were faced with a challenge in the new church. People were complaining that they don't get some of the food and all that. And apostles came up and said, do you know what? We don't think that we are supposed to give ourselves. We, we're going to give ourselves to the word of God and to prayer. We need other people to take charge of this business. So you see, it's, it's very important that Christ have time and that liberty to be able to Share God's word. So that's why he moved away. And we can learn from this. But you see, the preaching of the word of God is paramount. It's key in the life of the, of the church. The church is described as a pillar and ground of truth. So in the kingdom of God, in this work in which we are, there should be hands always that support so that the one preaching the word is not pressed so much. When they press so much, then the Jews, you know, the good Jews of the word doesn't come out. 
There's something we can learn from this being pressed and him moving away. We can learn this from here. Again, it interests me that the bodies you were pressing upon him. Today, people run away from the word of God. But here they were pressing to hear him. How? It indicates that, you see, what he preached was really good news to people. Sometimes, what is good news to people, sometimes we hold ourselves back to not save them. For example, you come to God's word and you come across the fact that God is forgiven. And no matter how people wrong him, he forgives. Instead of declaring clearly that God is a forgiving God, and no matter how bad you've been, no matter how many times you fall back, he'll forgive you. We say things like, um, you know, God will for, for, forgive you, but why do we try to show the nature of God? The nature of God is that he is forgiving. How many times a person goes bad, he will forgive. We think that by preaching that God is a forgiving God, people would do all kinds of stuff. But the point is, are we better than God? He found it necessary to put it in the scriptures. That we will know that he's a forgiving God. And he even said, if your brother sins against you 77 times, 7 times, forgive. How much more him? But we struggle. See, we don't discern. So, 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 so sometimes we shoot the good news. And we present legalism and all kinds of stuff. So people run away. Hey, good news is good news. Let's preach it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now you see, let's see the good news he brings to Peter. Hallelujah. So, he loves us so much that we need to learn to trust his wisdom. Hallelujah. Praise God. Jesus is calling these disciples to himself. I know that. Calling them to follow him. But there is a nature he reveals here, which I want, which we don't have to miss. And it is this. He loves us dearly that we need to recognize and yield to his wisdom. Let me put it this way. God loves you dearly. So don't reject his wisdom. What do I mean by that? Come with me. Let's read. Luke chapter 5, please. The verse 4. Let's start from here. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your net for a drought. Glory be to God. Here we have Jesus giving a command. And the command is three clear statements. First, launch into the deep. Let down your nets. 
and a third one for a drought or for a catch. Basically, for a big catch from the sea. Obviously, Jesus knows that Peter had been fishing all night and had caught nothing. He's aware of that. He's washing his nets and there is nothing to show for. So he's aware. He knows. <laughs> he loves him. He cares for him so much. But as much as God loves us, his blessings and goodness towards us comes the same way as in every other time. God will always bring you his word. Because his power to bring a change or to bring a blessing or goodness to your life always works through his word. The Bible says, it is that God's word is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.16. It is the power of God unto salvation. It's God's power. So if God wants to do anything in our lives, he will bring his word. And as we follow this word, we're able to experience the goodness of God. Praise God. Now, let me bring this out. Look at the verse 5. So, Jesus gives Peter these clear instructions. Now, these instructions, let me bring your attention. They are, they are natural instructions. They are not any strange words. Natural. If he had told Peter, Peter, right here on, uh, at the, sh on the shore, right? Where the, cast your nets for a drought. Then Peter will go, nah, Jesus, are you kidding? Right here. You don't catch fish, fish here. But he gave, a, he, he gave Peter a very natural instruction. Natural. The fishes are in the deep. Deep. Cast your nets for a catch. Three clear instructions, but one thing was clear about the instruction. It was very definite. It was very authoritative. It was not maybe. Let's, Peter, let's go back again and try again. Maybe this time round you, you might get something. No, he said, launch into the deep, cast your net for a catch. I mean, it's definite you're going to get it. And then Peter responds in the verse 5. Interesting. He says, And Simon answering said unto him, Master, Lovely man. Master. Even before, even before he begins to really walk with. Master, we've toiled all the night and have taken nothing. We've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Human logic here. All night. We've done all that we can. But myself and my partners, John and James, in the, in the other boat, we've all done it, all night, and we've caught nothing. 
Nevertheless, at thy word. Now, a point here before we go any further. Often times, <laughs> we talk about God's word as if God is senseless. We, we often put it like this. Um, even though God's word might not make sense to you, still do it. What are we implying? Even though God's word might not make sense, still do it. God's word might not make sense. Now, let me put something here. Let me say something here. There is human logic. That is one plus one is two. There is also God's or divine logic. Hello. There is human logic and there is divine logic. So when God is speaking, God is speaking divine logic. We better not say, well, it doesn't make sense, but I will still do it. What do you mean it doesn't, it doesn't make sense? Isaiah 55 verse, is it Isaiah 55 verse 9? Isaiah 55 verse 9. What does it say? Isaiah 55 verse 9. It says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thought than your thoughts. Indicating that the ways of God are higher than us. And his ways or his wisdom is higher than our wisdom. His logic, so because his ways are higher than our ways, his logic is also higher than our logic. So the fact that whatever God says doesn't seem to, you know, support our logic doesn't mean that what God says doesn't make sense, making it look like our God is senseless. If God made the whole universe and we live in and he created you and me and we think we are intelligent, then how much more him who made us and formed all things? So his intelligence is on a different level. And our intelligence is on that level. So when he speaks, often we will find out that if we try to compare our logic or our reason with his reason, then it doesn't match up. It does not mean that what God says is, you know, a senseless, it's not a senseless thing. Oh, it, 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 it is just faith. You know, you know um, faith is just, you know, just stepping into the dark like that. No, 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 no. Every faith is based upon evidence. The chair you are sitting on right now, you are sitting on or in your, in your, at home in your sofa or, or wherever, you are sitting upon it because you trust that it will bear your weight. You go into your car in the morning or in the evening to move it because you know it will start. 
And when it doesn't start, you are greatly disappointed. That's faith. God's word is the same thing. It's based upon evidence. God has evidence, proof, abundant here in his book. Evidence that we can trust. So faith is not a leap in the dark. Faith is based on evidence as well. There's logic. The soul that sinned, it shall die. Isn't that logic? You who did the wrong, you are the one that will die, or the one that will be punished. Another logic in God's word. He that is lazy would have nothing to show at the end of the, of the, of the day. Isn't that logic? All these are logic. So the word of God is on a higher plane. So we need to recognize that. God, he loved Peter, Peter so much. He knew that Peter has toiled all night and has caught nothing like some of us. We probably labored in something for so long and have gotten nothing. But his intention or his love for you, his care for you, is to come to you and to bless you and to help you out. But he will always give you his word. But you will probably have your natural, the human logic coming to say, but this will not work. How will this work? But you have to understand that, you see, there is human logic and there is divine logic. And we need to be able to put our human logic uh, down and take his divine logic. Peter was very smart. Peter was a smart guy. He said in the verse 5, Nevertheless, at thy word. Hallelujah. At thy word. I know what I know. I'm a fisherman. I'm experienced. What you are talking about, I don't see how. We've just come from there and we are washing our nets. And you are asking us to go back again. But at thy word. At thy word. Hallelujah. At thy word. I will let down the nets. To God be the glory. You see. We would always have to follow God's word. God, Peter had been a blessing, offering his boat for Jesus to, to teach God's word from his boat. And the Lord wants to bless him because he cares for him as he cares for you. He cares for you as he cares for Peter. He wants to relieve you. We see here, he's thinking of giving Peter fishes. Not the gifts of the Spirit. Some people think that the only thing they can ask from God are the things of the, of, of the Spirit. But here, he's giving Peter fishes. Fish. 
Can you imagine? Another time, he gave somebody wine at his wedding. Indicating that he cares, he loves you dearly. Your social, natural, occupational needs are his concern. Every need, you see, Jesus is concerned about your whole life. Your whole human need, he is concerned about and wants to meet it. That is the Jesus I'm talking about this morning. This is the offer available in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. This is what, what God's kingdom is all about. About meeting the needs of humanity. He cares for you. He's concerned about your need. That thing that gets you thinking, that gets you concerned, he's concerned about it too and wants to meet it. But the only thing is that he will solve it through his word. He'll give you his word and you've got to trust that word. But, but you've got to learn to put human logic down and take his divine logic. It's only going to be possible when we understand that actually it's not senseless. It is just divine logic. It is human logic. So anytime he gives his word and you notice that your human logic is conflicting with his, let's follow Peter and drop our human logic and say, at thy word, I will respond. Praise God. I've often said it is easier to give advice than to take advice. Very, very easy. You see someone in need and spontaneously you are giving advice what they should do. Oh, you simply just pray and God will come through for you. Oh, just believe God. Just, just believe God. But you, you're the person saying that. You find yourself in the same condition and you can't seem to pray that prayer you recommended for someone or believe. Somewhere, somehow, when we find ourselves acting in God's service, maybe you are active in some way in, 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 in God's service in one way or the other, we sometimes expect that, you know, God will just... Change the rules for us. You know, God will, God will bend the rules a little bit. You know, God will, God will um, suspend the rules and, and just, no, it is the same. He would always bless through his word. But those of us that appear to be in his service, seven in one form or, or, or the other, we get caught up in this trap and we expect Things to just work. Whether we believe or not believe, we expect things to just work. But God will give us his word. And when that word comes, it would be contradictory most of the time to our human logic. Why? Because God is not a man. God is God. So his logic is different, it's higher. But we got to trust one, that he loves us. That because of his love for us, whatever he's telling us. So if he tells you, do you know what? 
This thing you are holding on to as collateral, let go. And I'll take care of you. God, but what if I let go and you don't come through? What if I drop this and I don't see your word as, as I'm sensing in my heart? What if I launch into the deep and nothing comes out? I would have wasted effort and energy and my colleagues' time. But hey, never delay at thy word. Praise the Lord. He loves us so much to toy with our lives. He loves you dearly. So don't reject his wisdom. Because his wisdom is not senseless. It is just on a higher plane than yours. So it might look not to make sense. And that's where most people trip. Well, but what you're saying is not practical. It's amazing. You see, in the Bible, there's a priest called Eli. Eli saw a woman praying in a temple, and the woman looked like she was drunk because her lips was just, you just mumbling, just whispering. And um, he told the, the woman, put away your drink, and then come back and pray so that God will hear you. And the woman said, well, I'm not drunk, just sore of heart. And God heard her. Then Eli also got into trouble with, with God. And God spoke through Samuel. And when Eli heard what God is going to say, say through Samuel, instead of him to put, instead of him taking his own advice by putting his house in order, you know what he said? Yeah, he is God. Let him do what he wants to do. And God did what he wanted to do. What I'm saying is this, it's one rule for all, God's word. It would always come before we experience that goodness of God. And we must learn or come to admit that God loves us dearly. He loves you dearly. He loves you dearly. That whatever he's saying to you is for your good. And that we must learn to reject human logic and not think that God's word is senseless or baseless because it is simply divine logic versus human logic. Verse 6. <laughs> so, Simon follows, obeys, and verse 6 says, and when they had done this, when they had done this, when they had done this, hallelujah, when they had done this, when you have done God's word, hallelujah, when you too have done God's word, when they have done this, 
they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. The net broke. The fish was so much they couldn't contain. So much fish. So much. Plenty. Amazing. Plenty. Verse 7. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. Too much. You see, my Bible says he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above what we can ask or imagine. He, he would always exceed what you can you see, if you can think that it might be this, he will exceed it. He gave them so much, they are let broke. They called the other ship to come and help. And verse 7. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. So both ships ship were sinking now. That's how great a catch they got. This leads us now to verse 8. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. God's love for you and his intent and desire and his plan to meet your needs is beyond what you can imagine. Let these thoughts be the things that fill your mind. Instead of you are alone and you are struggling and what are you going to do? I want you to understand that his care for you is beyond comprehension. His love for you knows no bounds. And what he intends to supply for you is beyond your comprehension. He intends to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can even think or ask. That's how much he cares. And it will always overwhelm us. This is the God. This is the king we serve. When this happened, something happened to Peter. Let's look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, when he saw it, when he saw what? Hello? When he saw what? When he saw it. What is the it? When he saw the fishes, the abundance, it over, he's never caught such a drought before, never in his life, I believe. He fell down at his knees, saying, Jesus, so, sorry, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now my question is, what has the fishes got to do with his sin? You've got fish. Be happy. Hello? How many of us here, if you catch this number of fish, will be so sad? I mean, you go home, 
and um, he asks you to do something, maybe put in some plan for some things, for some project, and you reap so much funds, so much currency for that project, and you come back and say, God, I'm a sinner. Go away from me. How many of us will do that? You'll be happy, ringing everybody, dancing, dancing. Why is he saying to Jesus, depart? Did he mean he must go away from him? Really? Go away from me. Depart from me. I am a sinner. Actually, the word there is, I am a misser. I am, I am a misser. I miss the mark. I am a person who misses the mark. I am not qualified. That's what he's basically saying. I am not qualified for all this. I don't think I deserve this. This is too much. It beats my imagination. That's what we are talking about. Hallelujah. He is a God who provides in a way that, me, that beats our imagination. That our very emotions and psyche cannot comprehend it. This is the, is the king we serve. And this is the king we are talking about. Hallelujah. I love him. He's a good king. That his provision beats imagination. When you thought it was all over, when you thought there was nothing coming, he shows his head and he flaps you with unimaginable opportunities, resources, and goodness. Hey, God is a provider. Yes, I know. He forgives sins. Yes. There is sin in the world. It must, be for, it, must be, it must be repented of and forgiven. But God is a provider of human needs. If we try to make God only the God of the spiritual, we are presenting a different God, not the God of the scriptures. He who made man also provided fishes to be eaten. You remember when he came from the dead, when he resurrected, and the disciples were at the, were at the seashore, and he came amongst them, and they didn't even realize it was him. What did he ask? He said, friends, have you got any fish? <laughs> what I'm saying is that he is concerned about your human needs, your whole human need, the spiritual, the natural, the physical, everything. The social, the occupational, the intellectual. He's concerned about all. Because he created you for a purpose. Hey, let me ask this question. Are you aware God wants you to do well? Just in case, I, I think... Maybe I may be just going on a trail and not realizing this. I just want to ask, are you aware that God wants you to do well? Are you aware that God wants you to succeed in this life by his power and grace? Are you also aware that when you are succeeding, he is proud? Are you aware of that? If you're not, then it's about time you change your mind. Actually, he is proud. He made you, and he made you to win. He made you to conquer. Why does he say it? He says, we are more than conquerors 
through him that loves us. He wants us to conquer. Every challenge you come to in life, he wants you to conquer. And when you conquer, he's excited because he made you. So when you are conquering and overcoming and winning the battles, it just tells him that, ha, I made you well. How many of you parents, if you've got children, are not happy when they're doing well in school? And they, do, and, and they go out and people try to bully them and they put the people down. They don't take any, you know, they don't take any, anything that comes out with their way that's not right. And they come and say, well done, boy. Give a high five. Why? Because you want them to do well. They go to school, they, they have exams, and they smash it. 100% in every paper. So you, you are proud. That's my boy. That's my girl. But if they are getting 10%, 4 out of 20, 5 out of 35, what, what do you have to say? <laughs> you, I don't think I gave birth to you. When I was in school, every parent always scored 100%. <laughs> you see, so the point is this. God is excited when you are doing well. And that's the thing you want to understand. Praise God. I'm talking about God's nature here. Amen. So Peter sees this, and Peter goes on his knees and says, Depart from me. Depart from me. And you see, not only Peter, look at the verse 9. For he was astonished. That it blew his mind. He was astonished, and all the, that were with him at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. He was surprised. Wow! What is this? And so, verse 10, and so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with him. So all of them were surprised. But it was Peter who made action, so the focus is on Peter this morning. Praise God. But it was surprising. It was astonishing. They couldn't believe it. Right. So, Peter saw. What did he see that made him say, I am a sinner? Depart from me. <laughs> this is the point. God shows us his God shows us his goodness to reveal his nature. Every good deed that God shows to you and to me it is to reveal his nature. He gives the sinner a long time to live on the earth. Why? So that he will repent of his ways to, sh to show that he's a, he's a, he's a long-suffering God. So every goodness that God shows towards mankind, it is to reveal his nature. So what did Peter see? Peter saw the nature of Christ. He saw the excellence 
He saw the authority that my goodness, my goodness, his word was that I should go out there into the deep and I will have a big catch. And indeed, does he have control of the fishes under the sea or something? Yes. He is not only authoritative on the land, he is also authoritative under the land. This was awesome to Peter. This is what so Peter saw beyond the fishes. Peter, his eyes were seeing the fishes, but something he saw beyond the fishes. Something. Christ was revealing something, was revealing his nature to him through the goodness that he had done him. And Peter caught it. Hallelujah. That is exactly what happened to you and to me when we got born again. Peter's eyes were seeing natural fishes, ordinary fish. But then, he saw, as he was seeing the natural, he was able to see the glory of the king of the earth. He saw his glory. He saw his magnificence. He saw his power. Hallelujah. Praise God. You see, it was natural to the natural eyes. But he saw something else. Something else. The glory of Christ pierced into his soul. Praise God. This is what Peter realizes. That the word of Christ and the things he was seeing was not natural. But there was a different, but there was... Another dimension to the goodness. It was the nature of Christ. His excellence, his authority, his power. His holiness, his awesomeness. He came face to face with the awesomeness of Christ. And he, when he saw, when he came face to face, you see, his spiritual eyes was enlightened. His natural eyes were seeing fishes, but the inner eye, the eye of his mind, the spiritual eye looks a bit too spooky, right? The eyes of his mind, his mental image was, was enlivened. His mental capacity, you know, was, was, taken, was, was animated, and he was able to see the glory of Christ, his excellence, his power, his greatness. And when he saw it, he compared it with himself. And he realized, oh my goodness, I am before the holy God. <laughs> Depart from me. I'm, I'm a misser. I'm a sinner. Depart from me. I can't bear this. How can my God, how can my God come into my boat? How? That's why the, the hymn is sung. 
And can it be that I should get an interest in their Savior's love? How? Because when you come face to face with the glory, with the image of God, and like I said, that's what happened to you when you got born again. You heard natural words. Natural words. But your mental, your mind was animated. The eyes of your mind was animated. It was sharp. It was enhanced. And you were able to see the glory of God. All of a sudden, though it was natural words, probably spoken by a human being, but you saw with your mind's eye the glory of God. And all of a sudden, you were able to see yourself. And then you realized, oh my goodness, I'm a sinner. That is what changes humans. Not our well-crafted words. Sometimes people think that, you see, if they can have a formula, then they'll be able to change people from, you know, ungodly to godly or unbeliever to a believer, or sinner to saint. No, it's not by our well-crafted words. It is the revelation of the nature of God in people's souls that brings transformation. Peter will later say, we are, and being born again, First Peter 1.23, he says, and being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. Hallelujah. It was ordinary words. It was an ordinary experience and natural occurrence. But in there was the revelation. In that goodness was the revelation of the nature of God. Hallelujah. Let me say this. Jesus is not physically here anymore. But you are here. He works through you. He works through me. He works through us right, right now. Bible says we are co-laborers together with him. Because he knew he was not going to be there forever. He said, you know what? Wait for the spirit. And when he comes, we'll be endued with power. Shall be my witnesses. So we are now in that place of Christ. You right now are the mouthpiece of Christ here on this earth. You are God's instrument of hope. You are God's instrument of peace. You are God's instrument of justice. You are God's instrument of salvation. You are God's instrument right now. You see, as you talk with people, Using ordinary words. It is not so much of the well-crafted words you have learned. But the revelation of God. As you speak to people. It will bring transformation in their lives. Hallelujah. How is this going to be? It's going to be if you and me come to the place where we see ourselves as instruments 
of God's peace. Let's change our mind, our mentality to, 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 to be instruments of God's peace, instruments of God's justice, instruments of God's hope, instruments of God's salvation. See yourself as that. Because right now, he is still declaring his word. He is still revealing his goodness, but he does it through people, his instruments, you and me. Praise God. So the words that come from our mouths, let it be words that edify, through which people can experience the nature of God. Because God transforms people by revealing his nature. That's what he does. When a person gets transformed, so-called transformed, just by, the we, just by the mere words of another person, I tell you, that person is not changed. That person, maybe, it just, it just converted. But transformation hasn't happened yet. The only time we are transformed is when we come face to face with the nature of God. When he reveals his nature and we see it, that is the only thing that changes a man. The nature of God. The nature of God. It changed Peter. Anytime people encounter God's nature, they are changed. Remember Moses on Mount Horeb when he saw the bush burning and drew closer. And God said to him, don't come any closer. Exodus 3. And God spoke to him. Moses was changed. Isaiah. He said, chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the glory of God. And Isaiah was a changed man. Saul, who became Paul, on the road to Damascus, he encountered the Lord Jesus, and he was changed. It is only when people encounter the nature of God that there's transformation. And God knows, God himself knows, that until we encounter his nature, there's no way we can be transformed. He knows that. That is why he's always revealing himself. You see, I understand God is revealed in nature, but God has specifically revealed himself in the scriptures. He's given a special revelation of himself in the scriptures. So let's come here. Let's take time to come here. And when we come into this book, when we come to the scriptures, Let's come for one purpose, to see the nature of God. To discover the nature of God. Hallelujah. To discover the nature of God, not just to have a text. Not just to have something, just to, well, I've read the Bible five times, cover 
to cover. But have you identified, have you discovered the nature of God? If you do, it will transform you. And most of the problems we experience in life is due to a lack of the nature of God in our hearts and our lives. God have mercy. Praise God. Amen. But there's something I want to point out. God's nature, God reduces nature for good reasons. When Peter experienced it, what did he say? Depart from me. It was fearful. He saw the nature of Christ and his nature and he felt condemned. Hey, but I've come to tell you, God does not reveal his nature to condemn. Look at the verse 10. Look at the verse 10. The latter part. Fear not. <laughs> Fear. Don't be afraid. He says, Fear not. Don't be afraid. From henceforth, thou shalt catch men. No. The purpose for revealing my nature to you through this goodness I've shown you on the sea is not for condemnation. It's not for condemnation. No. God does not reveal his nature to us to condemn us, to make us feel so bad. No. It is to reveal something else. Fear not. Hello. Hallelujah. You're watching from afar. When you encounter God's nature, it is not for you to live in condemnation. That will be the work of the enemy. It's only the enemy. That reveals himself to scare. God does not reveal himself to be a threat. He reveals himself so we will draw to him. When he spoke to the multitude, what did he, what did he say in his teachings? He said, your father in heaven. Your father in heaven has good thoughts about you. The whole of scripture talks about the goodness of God. Why do we make it a book of, of religion? The reason why I say God is not about religion is because God has come to us to reveal his nature to us, to reveal his joy, to reveal his love, to reveal his peace, to reveal his kindness, to reveal his wrath, 
and anger against sin and injustice to reveal his, you know, his hopes and, and joyfulness of working with us. So God's come down to us to lift us up. What does religion say? Religion says, try and reach out to God. So religion is always doing the opposite. What God has already done, religion wants to redo it. That's why religion doesn't go anywhere. That's why it's failed and failed and failed and would always fail. But hey, the kingdom of God has come to us that we may enter it and rejoice with our king. Amen. Hallelujah. He says, fear not. Because my coming was not for condemnation, but it was for this. It was for this. From henceforth, you will catch fish. Sorry, you will catch men. Sorry. You will catch men. What was Peter catching earlier on? Peter was catching fishes. He had an idea of what he's meant to do in life and was doing it. An idea and was doing it. But Jesus here says, my revealing my nature to you about the fishes in the sea was not so much about the fish, but that you would, you know, It was, it was to reveal to you your truth, your, for you to be able to fine-tune your real work or your real assignment in life, your real purpose in life. You got it. It's about fishing. But when I reveal my nature, when God's nature is revealed unto us, it fine-tunes. It brings a fine tuning on what we are to do, what our purposes is. God reveals his nature. In time, God reveals his nature to you. You realize that it brings fine tuning to your assignment in life. It brings a fine tuning to your purpose in life. It brings fine tuning. That is why encountering God's nature is key. Encountering God's nature is paramount. And we come to the scriptures to discover the nature of God. Hallelujah. To find you. Enjoy the fishes. Because you've, you, you've caught them. But then, it is to, it's, it's for you to know that from now on, you have to catch men. Hallelujah. And guess what happened? Guess what happened? In verse 11. I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe what I saw in verse 11. And when they had brought the ship, their ship to land, what did they do? They forsook all and followed him. I thought, what? 
I'm sure they were disappointed. They were not happy that they didn't catch any fish the whole night. Now you've caught so much. They forsook everything and followed. You know, there's something that when you come face to face with the nature of God, something that happens to you, inside of you. When you come face to face with the nature of God, it inspires confidence in you to pursue purpose. It inspires a boldness in you to pursue your purpose. You see, if men encourage you to go into something, when difficulty comes, you will run away. But when you are inspired by the nature of God and you rise up and you step into what God has called you into, you will stay there. You will stay there. There will be... You will be able to turn your back onto all these things. They turn, they forsook all. They have found something. Christ called it the pearl of great price. They found something that was worth living for. You see, with this, let me say this. They were desiring fishes. They had great desire for fishes. But when they came face to face with their true purpose, with the nature of God, and they were, and they were you know, they are, they, their purpose has been fine-tuned and, and they become confident, they forsook it. They put it aside. Most of the challenges that we are, some, most, most of the things that we are struggling with, difficulties, most of the desires, Desires in our lives that we want to put down, but can't seem to put down, and it seems to be we seem to be entrapped in it. I tell you, there is a solution. The solution is coming face to face with the nature of God. The nature of God does something in your soul that it causes you to part. You see, when God reveals Himself, my goodness. When God reveals himself to your, in your soul, the thing that seems to hold you, you seem to now hold them and put them where they belong. Habits, lifestyles that you can't seem to quit and counter the nature of God. One revelation, one revelation of, the nature, of, the, of the nature of God is enough. I tell you, that habit that you are struggling with, you are only one revelation of the nature of God away. And it will break off like how the chains fell off Samson's hands when he rose up and shook himself. Because God's nature was stirred up in him. And every chain broke down. In the same way, when God's nature is revealed into your soul, Everything that has a hold upon you just falls down like nothing. 
Hey, he's come so that we will be confident to pursue the purposes for which he's created us. Maybe you are hearing me this morning. But you are not born again. And all that I've said is good. It's good news to you. But there is one good news that you must hear. And it is this. That you must be born again. Your inner man needs to come to the place where it recognizes God and worship Him as God and submit to Him as God. Right now, wherever you're listening to me, you are that person. And you want to say, Lord, I surrender my life. I surrender. Give me your life. For this life I'm living is a wretched one. No joy, no hope. I tried all things, but I'm forever miserable. When he reveals his nature to you, your purpose in life will become very clear. And there will be confidence to pursue it. And fulfillment is only around the corner. For you will only for experience for, for, fulfillment when you find yourself fulfilling the purpose, the assignment for which God made you to fulfill here on this earth. But it begins with you being born again. Being born again. Talk to him and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me if I'm a sinner. Come into my life. Come into me. Give me a new heart. Make me a new man. My heart, that mindset, that world, that, 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 that worldview that I have, that worldly worldview, that will not submit to anything of yours. Today, Lord, I surrender them. That I might be yours forever and ever. Amen. If you pray this prayer with me, I want to encourage you to go on the website, crisisdetroit.org.uk, and listen to more. I mean, listen to more of the messages to enrich your life as a Christian. But you are saying, hey, I'm a Christian already. But you see, I'm not so confident in pursuing what God has called me to do. I want to encourage you. Go into the Word of God or join in with others or with someone to look into God's Word for one thing, to discover his nature. Your heart will be edified. 
your mind will be strengthened. Boldness will come on the inside. And you will rise. And you will be like Peter. The things that have held you down, you'll be able to now hold those things down and rise. And be all that God created you to be. A child of God. A blessed one of God. A precious one. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, anyone that is not well in any part of your body, I pray for you. The Bible says he sends for his word and he heals your diseases. Wherever you are aching or ailing, be healed in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayer. God bless you. Hallelujah. Amen.